0: If you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 22 to 33 this morning. It's a, it's kind of a long text, and uh, i kind of sorry that we're not going to spend more than one week in it. Well, we've gotten to the point where um, a lot of commentators call this the, kind of the the... Table uh, of the household, the household table uh, household code, the way that we interact with um, with people in our lives who we see on a regular basis because they 're part of our family or just part of our household or uh, just regular life, um, how that is affected by the gospel that Paul has been talking about to this point, uh, who God is and what he 's done for us in Christ, the the Triune God and the salvation that we find, what kind of salvation it is, what it means for us, it finds now expression in a few different relationships that we have. Uh, the first and the, the largest amount of writing that's uh, uh, dedicated to this is talking about the relationship between husbands and wives, and then it goes on to talk about um, between parents and children, and then uh, masters and slaves, and uh, we'll talk about that in terms of uh, work relationships. So uh, we're gonna um, just give one sermon to this and then we'll actually break the next uh, small part up into two sermons. Um, next week will be a children's sermon, so get ready for that. Um, I'm going to get ready for that. Uh, we'll actually have the kids come up here, and we'll just sit and talk, and we'll have a little children's sermon, uh, because it's the the part of the, the book of Ephesians that addresses children. So we'll talk about that, and then the following week we'll uh, talk about uh, parenting and stuff like that. So um, all that is kind of where we're going from here. <laughs> so... Um, so this morning we're talking about husbands and wives. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll read the Scripture. We'll get right into it. <clears throat> Father, we ask for your help as we consider your Word. We pray that you would send your Spirit into our hearts, the, the Spirit who unites Father and Son in eternal uh, love. We pray for that Spirit to come and uh, convince us of your love for us and help us to love you and be shaped uh, by you into the image of your Son as we, as we think about who he is and what he's done for us in the Gospel. We pray... You would help us in Jesus name. Amen. I'm actually going to start a little bit earlier than what's printed in the bulletin, a little bit from 18, verse 18 and verse 21 then. So verse 18 says, "Be filled with the spirit." 21: submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I realize that not everybody in this room is married. Uh, Maybe you've been married before, or you haven't yet been married, or you're never going to be married. Uh, Maybe that's something far off in the future for probably half of us sitting here, the the little children, but... um, uh, This text is about marriage, and it's about more than marriage. I'm sorry that it can't apply immediately to everybody's uh, particular marital status, uh, but I think there's wisdom in this text that applies to all of us. And and again, I'm sorry that I I can't even address all of the wisdom that applies for for people in a marriage relationship, let alone for people outside the marriage relationship. So I'm just not going to try to do that. I'm not going to try to address everything going on in the text for everybody. Uh, but I think if you, uh, if you are paying attention to the text and, um, and hearing from, from God, you'll find something that will uh, probably shape the way that you think about your own relationships, whoever you are. So uh, please pay attention, um, whether you're married or not. Paul speaks of a profound mystery. That's what he talks about there in verse 32. This mystery is profound. Uh, and we've seen that word mystery pop up a few times in his letter to the Ephesians, The mystery is his way in this letter of talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of reconciliation. Um, Ultimately, kind of the the big thing that he's been talking about to this point in the letter is reconciliation between two entirely different kind of uh, warring people groups, right? Jews and Gentiles, people who don't naturally get along. But reconciliation, because we're reconciled to God, we have this reconciliation between uh, human beings in our relationships. So it's the gospel of reconciliation. It's the gospel of unity. Uh, in Christ. So this is the mystery. This is what had to be revealed to us, is that there really is a way for you to be restored in your relationship to God and to each other, and that's through Jesus Christ, right? And, and it, because it required revelation, it wasn't something we we're just going to figure out uh, on our own. It's not a conclusion we come to uh, that we would generate with uh, thinking the way that we do, because we, we think... Um, kind of upside down according to the gospel and according to Christ's kingdom. Uh, it had to be revealed to us, and so Paul talks about it in terms of mystery. This is, this is something you wouldn't have known unless God told you, right? And so we celebrate the scriptures that do reveal the mystery to us, and here the mystery of the gospel, the gospel of unity that we have through Christ, that mystery finds a particular expression in marriage, in Christian marriage, right? the way that we interact with each other as spouses as, as we're Christians. Um, The gospel is directly related to our marriages. Maybe that seems so obvious to some of us, it it doesn't, you know, bear repeating. Maybe it just goes over our heads. Uh, The gospel is directly related to our marriages. Something as simple as that. In fact, it's a good spot to remind ourselves of something very, very important, is that the gospel is directly related to everything ordinary in our lives. The gospel is related to everything that's just commonplace. In our lives, in a sense, uh, we're in this letter to the Ephesians. We're arri- arriving at the—it's the climax. It's the glorious climax of Paul's deeply theological letter about Christ as our unity. There's some pretty heady stuff, right? Um, but as we as we reach the climax of this letter, we're just talking about everyday relationships. It's the regular stuff. So God tells us that the regular stuff is. The spiritual stuff. And, uh, and we should pay attention to that because it's easy to miss that. It's really easy for us to miss that. You don't have to have some amazing, exotic, wildly bold, public, international, sensational, supernatural type ministry um, in order to follow Jesus and walk with God and let His gospel uh, resonate and, and sound forth from your life. Right? Um, you need to look around at where you are right now, like literally, at the people that uh, you're with all the time. People in your family, people at work, people here in church. And you need to learn to apply the gospel in those relationships. Um, Because that's what Paul's about here. And uh, pastors uh, frequently hear comments um, uh, about the ministry, about uh, preaching, and uh, it seems like there's a couple that that are common, that are common, that probably need to be addressed on a regular basis. One is that um, I hear this one um, at home. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> the sermon was too theological. It wasn't practical enough, <laughs> right? I need practical advice on how to do X, Y, and Z, right? Um, I'm not sure how what you're saying connects to regular life, connects to the relationships I'm in and the, the, time I spend on a daily basis doing chores or cleaning diapers or whatever it is, right? The theological stuff doesn't seem to me. Ma- I need more practical stuff, right? I need more practical stuff. But when you read through the New Testament, and especially here in Paul, I mean, it's the, the, the apostles keep bringing us back to the basics. In all the letters, they bring us back to the basics. Who is God really? Who is he? What is he like? What has Jesus done for us? Let's think about that. That's theology, right? Let's think about who God is and what he's done for us. And out of the theological, out of the gospel, flow things like, so be this kind of spouse. Be this kind of child and be this kind of parent and be this kind of boss and be this kind of worker. Right? Uh, so the theological stuff um, has immediate relevance, immediate relevance to the practical everyday stuff. The gospel applies immediately, in, in this case, to our marriages. And then, uh, secondly, you know, um, another comment I hear is, you know, we, we want to do something here. We want to go big with ministry, right? We want to go big. We want to we make an impact. We want to have uh, such an impact in the city that we make ourselves indispensable. Things like what Tim Keller says when he says, uh, what would happen if our church disappeared from the city? We want our, our uh, absence to be felt. Right? Because we want to have such an impact in our city, we need, so we need to hear more about evangelism and missions and mercy ministries and service and ways that we can go big. Right? Big, noticeable, integral, important stuff to change the city right? on a large scale. We need to hear that stuff. But, but when the apostles help us to see how the rubber meets the road, when it does, the theological rubber meets the practical concrete, the road, right? Um, Getting down to that stuff usually means it's just the ordinary stuff, right? It's the everyday stuff, it's the mundane, the humdrum places in life where the gospel is immediately applying, right? Um, it's, it's a great mystery, but the gospel is directly related to the commonplace, not the big, showy, flashy stuff. The commonplace, we're called to live in that meeting between the otherworldly and this world to apply the gospel to real relationships, to take the, uh, the undiluted, headiest theological stuff imaginable and drink it for our health morning, noon, and evening and, and let it have its effect on every part of our very ordinary lives, very quiet lives right? in some ways. Um, so if you're unable to see how the life of the Trinity that Paul's been talking about in this letter uh, that is kind of the core of the gospel are, are having the life of the Trinity inside of us, if you're unable to see how that might apply, how it might make you new in your relationships, in your immediate uh, circles, then, then maybe you've underappreciated the mystery of the gospel. That's, I think that's what Paul's saying. It's a profound mystery. We're talking about husbands and wives. We're talking about Christ and the church. Right. Um, for example, yeah, if you're not being changed in the way that you interact with your spouse, if you're not becoming less selfish, less pleasure-oriented in your dealings with your spouse, if it's not changing the way that you interact with your spouse, maybe you're not getting the mystery. The gospel goes there. It applies there. It's a regular thing. It's a practical thing. The gospel, the theological gospel goes there. So, in fact, the marriage relationship, as exceedingly common as it is to us, maybe close to universal uh, in terms of most people in the world entering into a relationship like this, a husband and wife relationship, um, it's exceedingly common. It's according to the scriptures, it's the the most glorious arena for the gospel mystery. That's why Paul's talking about it here. That's why the climax of the letter is marriage, that kind of union. Uh, and, and Paul goes on about what is just pretty normal and almost universally so common. Humanity was created originally in God's image, male and female, husband and wife, in complete union for this mutual self-gift, for love, to reflect the kind of love that God is. The, the Trinity is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The essence of God is love. And we were created in his image, male and female, as husband and wife, for union, that means mutual self-gift, that kind of love. God has communicated his love to us throughout the scriptures along the same kind of lines, right? He's used marriage as an analogy several times. Uh, Several whole books of the Old Testament are about this. Um, He calls himself our husband. He's the husband to his people. Jesus comes into the world and says, the bridegroom is here. It's time to party. Jesus calls himself our bridegroom, he's the one who, by his grace, he carries us over the threshold of eternity to his home where a great wedding feast awaits. And he's moved toward us in grace to forgive us, to beautify us, to cleanse us and purify us from our sin, to grant us to wear bright unstained garments, festive garments adorned with gold and jewels, as a bride is prepared for her wedding. That's the relationship as as we see it. It's a husband and wife relationship, but it's a picture that God co-ops and says, look, that's what our relationship is like between me and you. God and his people, Christ and his church. And he says this, we'll read uh, a little bit from Ezekiel chapter 16, where he's using this imagery for us. And it's, it's in some ways similar to what Katie read uh, from Psalm 45. Ezekiel 16, starting in verse 4, On the day you were born, God says to his people, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you out of compassion for you, But you were cast out on the open field. You were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, and I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. This is a picture of the way that Jesus Christ, in laying down his life for us, has beautified us. He's taken a bride for himself. He's cleansed her. And he's made her ready for, for heaven, for the courts of heaven, where she will, she's advanced to royalty. Because she's the bride of this bridegroom because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done for us and God has done this for us because of the kind of God he is he's the God of love he's a God who is love so who God is and what he's done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ has immediate ramifications for our understanding of marriage, that simple common relationship Our, our real earthly marriages where two sinners are slapped together Because of the gospel, we can, and really we must, live in our marriages as entirely new kinds of people. That simple common relationship, engaged in it as an entirely new kind of person. We must walk with God, we must put on the new humanity of Jesus Christ, we must be filled by the Holy Spirit, and the most profound effect of the life of the Trinity, this theological heady stuff, right, the gospel, The most profound effect of the life of the Trinity at work in us will be to take self-centered people and turn them outward, to live for the sake of the other, to give the self as a gift to the other. And the husband and wife are called to slightly different expressions of this. And we're not going to be able to talk about all of this uh, because I know there's a lot of questions generated when you have this, this concept of authority in a relationship, the the relationship between a husband and wife, and between children and parents, and and masters and slaves, Uh, these are all relationships of authority, that God has told us, these people are equals, but my will for you is that you live in a relationship of authority. One has authority, one shows deference. And so, um, if you've got questions about that that we don't cover, please join us for sermon discussion. And, uh, and let's talk about those things. But the husband and wife are called to, to this mutual self-gift in a relationship of marriage in, in slightly different ways, to express that in slightly different ways. Each wife, each wife is to submit to her own husband, not to every guy, to her own husband. She's in a particular relationship with this particular person, and each one is called to submit to him as to the Lord not necessarily because this guy's so awesome and he deserves it, right? But as to the Lord, just as the church submits to Christ her Lord in everything. And each husband is to love his own wife as his own body, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, his own body. And each one of those roles, when you look at those things, I'm guessing we have some natural resistance (laughs) to these things in our hearts, right? We have natural resistance. Each one of these roles takes more than you've got in and of yourself. You can't do it. You don't even want to, right? Um, And none of us does it naturally. Married couples, married couples where each spouse lives for himself or for herself, where the self-centeredness has overridden any semblance of love, Where they can no longer even stand each other because he's not meeting my needs or she's not meeting my needs. Uh, Married couples like that, living in self centeredness, regrettably often postpone getting help, postpone going to counseling or whatever until it's too late. Until it's too late. Um, And let me tell you if you're married, it doesn't matter who you are, in one sense, it's already too late. It's already too late. You're already living for yourself, and so is that other person. You're already thinking that your spouse is there to serve you. You're already scheming up ways to make that happen. You're already being nice to that person in order to get what you want from them. You're already fighting in order to win arguments, to make yourself look smart, to be the one who's right, to get, get what you want, to justify yourself, You're already doing those things. In and of yourself, it's kind of too late for all of us, right? Um, Leo Tolstoy said in a letter to his son, the goal of our life should not be to find joy in marriage. And by that, he's talking about just my own joy, my own pleasure, my own happiness. But to bring more love and truth into the world. We marry to assist each other in this task. The most selfish and hateful life of all is that of two beings who unite in order to enjoy life. So the only way uh, to engage well in marriage, to live that life that Tolstoy's talking about where, where you're taking love and truth and, and taking it and bringing more of it into the world Um, is to do something that's entirely unnatural for you, and it's to repent and believe the gospel. It is unnatural for you to live well in a marriage, really, according to God's, uh, God's wisdom for marriage and God's plan for marriage. It's unnatural. You've got to repent and believe in the gospel. It's those basic yet profound theological gospel ideas that are elements of the ordinary Christian life, all of our commonplace relationships, right? Repent and believe. That's why we talk about it all the time. Repent and believe the gospel. Tim Keller says it another way. He says that essential to marriage, essential to marriage, are the abilities to forgive and repent. To forgive and repent. Um, So, wife. Your husband is a sinner. If you're going to submit to him in everything, like this text says, if you're going to show deference to him, you're going to have to forgive his sin. You're going to have to overlook his sin. And you're going to have to look straight at Jesus. Like it says, um, as to the Lord. This is how you engage in this earthly relationship, is you're looking to Christ. You don't base your submission to your husband on whether he deserves it or not, because he doesn't. You've got to forgive that and get past it. and give yourself to him as a gift anyway because of Christ. Husband, your wife is also a sinner. If you're going to love her and lay down your life for her, give up your rights and your preferences and your comfort, give up your your whole life for her. Well, Jesus did the same thing for his church, and they didn't deserve it but he did it anyway. He gave himself up for her, died to forgive her. Died to himself, died to the world in order to forgive, uh, forgive his bride. So, so look to him and let him be your pattern and let him be your strength and let, him, let his humanity and his life be the source for your love for your wife. The unrepentant can't do these things. Right? It might look on, on the surface like a, a great, happy, fine marriage relationship, but the unrepentant can't really do this. Because as we are in in and of ourselves, apart from the gospel, apart from faith in Christ, apart from the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we're just self-centered. And we're doing everything that we do for that purpose. So, unless you turn away from that, you can't do it. You can't really do it. The unrepentant can't. The unrepentant won't quit living for themselves. The unrepentant insist on getting their own way. The repentant are able to turn away from these, uh, these compulsory instincts. We do it without thinking, and it drives us, this self-centeredness, but the repentant can turn away from that right, by God's grace. And we can seek to live in Christ by faith turning to his humanity, what he is like, what he's done for us, what we can see about God because we've seen Jesus Christ. We turn to him for help as the resource for living in love and truth. And only those whom God has made repentant through the gospel can live in a marriage and say things like, I don't need to win the argument. I don't need to find a little bit of comfort here for myself right now. I can serve you. Take, for example, arguing. Entering into that, um, usually we just have this baseline expectation, of course I'm going in this thing to, to win it. I'm in it to win it. <laughs> right? um, The Christian says, I don't have to win this argument. Whatever I'm looking for, I don't need it. Um, By all worldly accounts, Jesus, he was in an argument with his bride when he came into the world, and he lost the argument at the cross. By all worldly accounts, Jesus lost the argument, so I don't think we're here just to win arguments, but to give ourselves up, to give up our preferences, give up our being right, to give up that for the sake of love. So only the truly repentant can say, I'll defer to you. I'll I'll look for your best. I'll give up my way. I'll live to beautify you. My life for you, not yours for me. And the profound mystery is that something so quiet and ordinary as that, it resounds with all the glory of Jesus Christ. He's the one who unites the cosmos, in His own love, His self-sacrificial self-gift. So let's live in that meeting place of the gospel and our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we know that You have sent Your Son for our good, not to be against us, but to be for us. He's uh, not only given His life for us, which is the the perfect and uh, utmost demonstration of love that we could ever hope to see, but He's also done all of it on our behalf, and so He fixed our humanity, and He's given us a new one to live in because of who He is and and what He's done and where He is right now. Uh, All the resources of heaven are at our disposal to be able to do um, simple things like lose arguments and give up our comforts for one another in the home where no one sees it. We pray that you would make us to know the glory of this mystery, that heaven and earth have been moved, and, um, and it means the, the small changes that we see in our relationships at home, in our marriages. We pray that you would uh, catch our attention, fill our vision with Jesus Christ, and so by doing so, you would uh, change our lives and really turn them upside down uh, in our homes, in our marriage relationships. Uh, so that we stop living for ourselves and start living uh, more and more like Christ for the sake of the other, uh, putting putting them and their interests above our own. We pray that you would do this for the glory of your kingdom, because that's what your kingdom's glory is like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.